The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. FOMO. It's the fear of missing out. So what are you afraid of missing out on? Right, young people today, they're on their phones constantly because they're afraid they're going to miss out on something that they should have seen. Others, when they're on their phones or viewing social media, they see something where all their friends went to and they didn't get invited and they missed out. And so there's this like tension, this anxiety around, I missed being there, right? So there's this FOMO, this fear of missing out. So what is your FOMO? So here's mine. Um, And I've had it for many, many years. I have this fear that when I die, I'll, I'll go to heaven and I'll stand before God. And standing before God, he'll roll out like this amazing blueprint of my life, like this really detailed, elaborate uh, set of blueprints. And uh, like this was the plans for my life. And I'll look over it and I'll be like, first I'll be like, wow, that's amazing. And I'll start seeing things though that I, I, don't, I don't remember. God, I don't remember doing that. Or God, I don't remember doing that. Or I don't remember that person. And, uh, and then God will be like, no, 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 that was my plan for your life. That's what I wanted to do. And then he like puts it aside and pulls out like this little lint-sized piece of paper. And he's like, Here, here's what you actually did. All right, so you don't have to feel bad for me, but that, that's my FOMO. That's what I'm afraid of. I, I don't want to miss out on living my life and yet not living it to the fullest. And so... That's where I want to go, right? Like, what would it mean for you to miss out on the best of life? What if there's more to your life? What if, what if your life could accomplish more? What if you could do more? What if you could live more? And then for some of us, you believe in God. And because you believe in God, you believe that he is a true, living, active God who has purposes for our life. Because he has a purpose for our each of our lives, uh, our desire is to live those out to the fullest. And so maybe what we really have is FOMO of God, meaning I don't want to miss out on what God is doing. And whether you believe in God or not, we want to leave space for that. If there is a God, you don't want to miss out on what God wants to do in and through your life. And so what would it look like for you to be the kind of person that allows God, a living, active God, who is still God, to be at work in and through your life so that you can live your life to the fullest, so you don't miss out on anything God has for you. So I want to introduce you to a couple that lived like that. Uh, Now, their story is set in ancient times. Uh, during this series, we're looking at kind of going through the miracles of the life of Elisha. His story is recorded in uh, the books of the Bible that account for the historical uh, season when the nation of Israel and Judah, they had kings ruling over them. And uh, so it conveniently in the Bible is called First and Second Kings. It's a two-set volume. And so we meet this guy, Elisha, who is a prophet of God. And so uh, this couple, they don't want to miss out on anything God wants to do in and through their life. And so I'm going to jump you into the story. It's found in the fourth chapter of this book of Second Kings. And so here we go. We're just going to jump in and we're going to read a little bit to you. One day, Elisha went to Shunem 
And a well-to-do woman was there who urged him to stay for a meal. So whenever he came by, he stopped there to eat. And she said to her husband, I know that this man who often comes our way is a holy man of God. Let's make a small room on the roof and put it in a put in a bed and a table, a chair and a lamp for him. Then he can stay there whenever he comes to us. And, and so here, here's the thing. Um, this couple, they want more of God and they want God to do more in and through their life. And so for them, the way God shows up is through the prophet Elisha. And so they want uh, Elisha to be able to stay in their house more and stay as long as he wants. And I'm curious for you, what would it mean for you to create the space in your life for God to show up and stay as long as he wants? For them, it required some renovation and some preparation, right? They had to renovate their house. They had to clear out space and renovate to make space so that there would be a room for Elisha to stay. And then they had to take some of their different belongings and reappropriate it so that there was a place and space for Elisha. What about in your life? What renovations would be required so that you can create space and make space for God to show up and God to stay as long as he wants? And so uh, in this story... Uh, what's cool is that as they make space for Elisha, as they make space for God, because Elisha is the prophet of God, the man of God, um, they, they don't just make space in their house, they make space in their heart. We want more of God in our life. And as a result, God is always looking for people who want more of him, and he wants to bless them. And so that's where, um, that, that's where the story continues. One day when Elisha came, he went up to his room and laid down there. So now he's at the house of the Shunammite woman. And uh, he said to his servant Gehazi, call the Shunammite. So he called her and she stood before him. And Elisha said to him, tell her you have gone to all this trouble for us. Now what can be done for you? Can we, can we speak on your behalf to the king or the commander of the army? I mean, do you need some favor granted to you by the king of the nation? Do you, do you need the, the leader of the entire army to do something for you? I mean, he, he's pulling out the big guns. He's like, I mean, whatever you need, I'll, I'll talk to the king, I'll talk to the generals. I mean, whatever you need, we're ready to go to war for you. And uh, she replied, I have a home among my own people. I don't need anything. So here's a wealthy couple, and the woman says, I don't need anything. I don't want anything. There's nothing that I need or want. And the things that I need and want, you can't provide for me. It's like, you ever have somebody in your life that you, like they're impossible to shop for on their birthday or Christmas. Um, they're, maybe they're financially really well-to-do and they've already got everything they need. And so you're, you're, you're thinking, what do I get for this person? And whatever they want, you can't, get for them, right? Like you don't have the resources to get it. And so, you know, you're kind of stuck. And that, that's kind of her response to Elisha. I don't want her to need anything besides what I really most need you couldn't provide. What she doesn't have is a child. And they're an older couple. And uh, what that means for them is that there's no future. There's no way to provide for her. And uh, even though they have all the financial resources, uh, not having a child means everything they have gets left to someone else outside their family. And the key lesson of this story, the principle that jumps out of history, 
because God is the God who is at work through history and doing what only God can do, is what, what does this couple do? Um, they, they make room for God. My challenge to you is would you make room for God? And when you make room for God, you're making room for God to do the impossible. That's right. When you make room for God, you're making room for God to do the impossible. And we're going to see that and read about that in the life of this Shunammite woman and this couple. But here's the deal. We, we don't make room for God because we fill our life with what we want and what we need, right? Like, unlike this couple, they, they said, we don't, we don't want or need anything. And so as a result, they make room for God. And uh, I'm not saying that you're needy or your desires are clouding you, but I am saying that when we focus on what we want, when we focus on what we need, and when we fill our life with our wants and our needs, we're, we're cluttering our life with, in the spaces where God wants to show up. Maybe, maybe there's, you, don't, you don't have any room for God to show up in your marriage because you're putting so much stuff into it. You're, you're filling your marriage with all the things that you think will fix it or you think will make you happy or you're filling your, your parenting or you're filling your work or your, your employment. You're filling your life with your dreams, your plans. Pick any area. Maybe it's in your finances. Your finances are so filled with wants and needs, right? You've budgeted beyond what you can afford. And as a result, there's no room for God to show up. Maybe it's your schedule. You've so booked your life with such a full schedule, there's no room for God. And part of the reason why we fill our life with our wants and our needs is we're trying to fill our life to fill a void. Because every one of us have a, a God-shaped void, right? That was Blaise Pascal, a, a scientist, a renowned physicist, who said there is a God-shaped void in the heart of every man that only can be filled through the person of Jesus, right? There's a void in us, and that void comes from a spiritual emptiness as a result of sin. Sin separates us from relationship with God, leaves us empty and void of purpose and meaning. And so we fill our life with all kinds of stuff, hoping that something will make us feel better, feel satisfied. But this sin that separates us from God leaves us corrupted and heading toward a forever without God a forever void, not an emptiness, but a life in eternity empty of God and all that is good. But God, but God doesn't want to leave us alone. He doesn't want to leave us crushed under sin. He doesn't want to leave us separated from him because of sin. God wants to come to us. God wants to enter into our lives and he wants to bless us. And so Elisha says to the woman, um, he, he goes, what can be done for her? Elijah asked. And Gehazi said, well, she has no son and her husband is old. And um, so he's like, all right, uh, what can we do? And, and so here, here's this moment, you know, she, she's, uh, she doesn't have any kids. And so finally, uh, Elisha says to her, well, about this time next year, Elisha said, you will hold a son in your arms. And it's interesting that in this moment, the woman, uh, what you see is like her deep desire really comes out. She said, I don't want anything. I don't need anything. And then suddenly you see this deep desire reveal itself because she's afraid of being disappointed. Man, she's been hurt before. You know, anybody who's ever wanted a child, and uh, you know how this goes, right? Like, 
It's disappointment after disappointment after disappointment, month after month, maybe year after year. Maybe you've tried and you've had a miscarriage and there's so many broken women. Some of you, even as I'm speaking about it, you'll have tears running down your face. And uh, this woman knew that pain. She doesn't want to be let down again. And so she says, no, my Lord, she objected. Please, man of God, don't mislead your servant. And uh, it's this feeling of like, man, don't tease me. Don't lead me on. Don't trick me. Don't lie to me. But remember, the, Elisha represents the presence of God. And so they made room for God. And they made a room for God. And now God wants to bless them. And they're saying, don't, don't trick me. Don't tease me. Don't mess with me. And some of you, the reason why you haven't made room for God is because you're like, God, don't mess with me. I don't want some pastor to tell me, oh yeah, God can do this. God can do that. And then God doesn't. And I'm left hurting. I'm left broken. I'm left in pain, frustrated, going, God, why'd you tease me again? And what I want you to know is that God is not in the business of teasing people. God isn't messing with you. He's not making promises that he's not willing to follow through on. And that's the, that's the beauty of not only this story, but Elisha points us to Jesus in the future, right? A thousand years later, right? What does God do? He doesn't just make a promise to a woman that he's going to send a son. He makes a promise to the world that he would send his son. In the same way, a miraculous gift. This woman couldn't have any children. She was barren. Her husband is old. It's impossible. God did another impossible thing by becoming one of us. Jesus comes from heaven to earth, born of a virgin, an impossibility, born into poverty, born under oppression. And then Jesus takes on the curse of our sin, the emptiness that we feel, that we feel. He took it on himself. He, he, he absorbed that empty shame, that empty pain. He, he, he took on the grief that every one of us feel for every disappointment and every letdown, every tease. He took on our sin and the judgment that we deserve. So when Jesus died, he died once for all. So anyone who believes in Jesus by faith is forgiven, but he not only died, he rose supernaturally from the dead, right? The God who sent his son dies and then supernaturally rises from the dead. Now that's gonna be important because I'm giving you a little foreshadowing of what's gonna happen in this story, but let's come back to Jesus. Jesus rises from the dead and in his resurrection, he demonstrates that God is victorious over death, that God is still God and he is still in control, that he is the God over death, he is the God over fear, he is the God who rules and reigns and anyone who makes room for God in their life they're making room for his son, Jesus, to forgive them and give them new life. And if that's where you're at today, would you just say yes to Jesus? Would you make a commitment and say yes to Jesus? You're joining us online. You're at our, you're at our Chambersburg campus. We'd love, you're, you're at our, our Hagerstown campus. We would love to invite you to say yes to Jesus right now. And as you say yes to Jesus, would you let us know? Text the name Jesus to 81411. And you're, you're making room for Jesus in your life. You're creating space for God to come and put his spirit in the place of your sin. And when God's spirit enters into your spirit, he forgives you, your sins and gives you new and forever life. Now, as we jump back into the story, we discover, you know, the, this woman who she does, she has, this, she has a child. And it's a miracle, right? It's a miracle gift from heaven. But then tragedy strikes. 
A couple years later, the child gets very sick and then dies. And uh, the woman who has made room for God wants to make room for God to do the impossible. And so she immediately, she, she, she grabs a donkey and she gets on it and she just rides straight to where she knew Elisha was. And on her way, Elisha sees her off in the distance and sends his servant to her. And so we're going to jump into the story in 2 Kings chapter 4, starting in verse 26. He, uh, Elisha says to his servant, run to meet her and ask her, are you all right? Is your husband all right? Is your children all right? Like, is everything okay? Everything is all right, she said. And when she reached the man of God at the mountain, she took hold of his feet. Gehazi came over to push her away, but, she, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She is in bitter distress, but the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me why. Did I ask you for a son, my Lord? She said, didn't I tell you? Don't raise my hopes. And there you see it again. Her saying, man, I, I made room for God. I welcome God in my life. And then God says he's going to do the impossible. But I told you, don't, don't tease me. Don't mess with me. God, don't, don't make promises that you're going to break. Don't give me gifts that you're going to take away. Here's, here's what I want you to know. We don't make God do anything. We make room for God. And we make room for God to do what only God can do. God is still God. And God is still actively at work. And God still sees our tears and hears our pain. God is still actively involved in the intimate details of our life. He knows a barren woman's cry. And he hears and sees the pain of a woman who's losing her child. And as a result, like that servant runs to her, God is, she's running to the, to the man of God. Meanwhile, God is running toward her. Let, let me go back and just read the verse again that really I want to make sure you don't miss. It's uh, verse 26. I'm going to read it in another translation. Uh, it, Elisha says to Gehazi, please run now to meet her and say to her, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your child? And she answered, it is well. You might wonder how could she say that? because she had made room for God. When you make room for God, God gives hope in despair. That's right. When we make room for God, we make room for God to do the impossible. God gives us hope in the midst of despair. Right now, God is offering you hope in the midst of despair. And the only thing you can do to welcome God's hope is that you make room for God. We don't make God do anything. We make room for God. And when we make room for God, God shows up and God gives us hope and despair. We make room for God and God does what only God can do, right? We don't make God move. We make room for God. And when God shows up, he moves on our behalf. What, what is important for us to receive hope from God in despair is that we trust God. We trust that God is good and that he is at work for our good. He is at work for our ultimate good, even when we can't see it. He 
is still in control. And like this Shunammite woman who had lost her son, we can join her in saying, no matter what the circumstances, and this is what I wanna encourage you with, no matter what you're walking through, no matter what you're feeling, no matter what you're experiencing, no matter what you've been through recently, that you can make room for God, and even when pain and tragedy and difficulties strike, you can say, it is well. So I might ask you how you're doing it. And you're, you're not feeling good, you're not doing good, but you could say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Why? Because I know that God is good, and God is at work for my good. He is at work for my ultimate good. Even when I can't see it, he is still moving. Even when I can't see it, he is still in control. I know my God and I trust my God. In fact, that phrase, it is well, became an important part of a uh, well-known hymn called It Is Well. It was written by Horatio Spafford. And uh, let, me, let me tell you a little bit about his story. Horatio Spafford um, was a well-known and wealthy lawyer and real estate investor who, in 1871, lost a significant portion of his wealth to uh, the Great Chicago Fire. Right around the same time, uh, his only son, so they had five children, but his only son died of the scarlet fever. He he was a good acquaintance with D.L. Moody, who was a world-renowned uh, evangelist and preacher who at the time was leading crusades in England. And so D.L. Moody reached out to uh, Horatio and said, hey, why don't you come join me at my crusades? And so Spafford thought, you know, my family could really, uh, it'd be good for them to have a rest. It'd be good for us to have a vacation, to get away from the tragedy we've been walking through. And so what he did was he put his wife and his four daughters on a ship to sail to England. And then the plan was that he had, he had to finish some last minute business uh, in Chicago. And then he was gonna jump on a, a ship and meet them in England. And then they would enjoy a vacation together. On the trip across the Atlantic, uh, the ship that his daughters and his wife were in was in a horrible accident with another ship that during a storm they hit, they hit, and uh, the, hit, the ship with his daughters and his wife in it went down, and 200 individuals lost their lives. 200 souls were lost, including his four daughters. And so he gets a telegram from his wife days later. It said, saved alone, what shall I do? Saved alone. He, he just lost nearly everything, loses his son, loses his four daughters. Very quickly, he gets on a ship. It's gonna take the same route to meet with his grieving wife. And as they approached the spot where the ship went down, the, um, one of the, uh, cap the captain came and got Horatio and said, let, let me bring you to the place. Let me bring you out front of the ship. And as they went by, he said, this is the spot where the ship went down. The spot where he lost his four daughters. Dad grieves, and he goes down into the, his room in the ship. He begins to write a song based on his reading of that passage from the Shunammite woman, who when she is greeted, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with your children? And she says, it is well. And he writes this, the hymn, 
it is well. It is well with my soul. And, and you can read the lyrics. And now suddenly you go, wow, that makes a lot more sense. So let, let me put those up on the screen. He writes this, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot that has taught me to know, it is well, it is well with my soul. I want you to know that no matter what you're walking through, you make room for God to attend to your grief, to attend to your fears, to attend to where you feel like life has teased you and let you down. And whatever your lot that has taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And when we do that, we're making room for God. We're making room for God to do the impossible. Now, God doesn't always show up in the miraculous, but God is always at work. And so, in fact, in the story, um, Elisha runs to the house where the son has died. And in some, you know, I don't necessarily think that the, what he did mattered, but he actually laid down on the child. And then, and then his story continues, and it says this. Um, he, he returned and walked back and forth in the house and again went up and stretched himself out on him. And then the child sneezed seven times. I don't even know why the Bible says he sneezed seven times, but the author felt like it was important for you to know the, like the details, that God is at work in the details. God notices the child sneezing seven times, and the child opened his eyes. And Elijah called Gehazi and said, call the Shunammite woman. So he called her. And when she came to him, he said, pick up your son. And so she went, fell at his feet, and bowed to the ground. Then she picked up her son and she went out. And what I simply want you to know is that God is still in control. God is good. He is still at work for your good. He is at work for your ultimate good. Some of you wonder, why does God heal one child or raise one child from the dead and I've had to bury mine or my child's sick? Look, God is good and we make room for God to do what only God can do. God seems to primarily meet us in our weakness and in our desperation, right? Some of you are asking God to meet you, uh, to give you more than you already had, and you wonder, where is God in that? God seems to meet us in our weakness, in our fears, in our desperation, and he seems to show up and do what only God can do. To a wealthy couple who didn't need anything from God, what they needed was impossible, and so God met them in their impossible. This woman couldn't make herself have a child, so God gives her a child. She couldn't raise the child from the dead, and so God does what only God can do. But God is still in control, and some of you wonder, why does he heal this person and not heal this person? So let me, let me be very clear. Everything you need and could ever want from God has been purchased through Jesus' death on the cross and the power of his resurrection. The empty tomb is the promise of your filled life. But here's the thing. What is waiting for you is waiting for you ultimately in heaven. The promise is not that we're gonna get everything on earth. That's why we have to trust that God is still in control. So why does God heal one person and not another physically on earth? Well, here's the deal. Both of their healing has been paid for and both of their healings are completed. 
through Jesus' death and the power of his resurrection. And they're both waiting in eternity, right? Like the person who God physically heals is not ultimately healed. They're waiting for their ultimate healing in heaven. And to the person that didn't get the physical healing on earth, they will still receive that ultimate healing in eternity. And so God does or doesn't based on his redemptive plan, meaning what best shows off God's power and his presence. So when he heals, it's because he wants someone else to recognize that he is a healer and he can do the impossible. He can save their soul because the greatest healing is the saving of a soul, right? The rescuing, the, where we make room for God and God comes in and fills the deep void. When he doesn't, he's showing that peace like a river can attend to your soul when sea billows roll over your life like sorrow. For Horatio, what God showed was that when everything is going wrong, I am still in control and I'm still God. You make room for me. So whether I heal or don't, whether I raise the dead or don't, I am showing off in and through your life. And we find comfort in that song it is well because it speaks to the deepest place in our life. So God took his grief and used it for a miracle to save souls. For others, he heals. For some, he raises the dead. For others, he allows death in this life to be the transition to new and forever life. But our response is always, God, I trust you. You are good and you are still in control. And so what I wanna do is I wanna pray over you that God would meet you right now in your grief, your pain, what I want, what I'm asking is that you would make room for God in those places where you hurt, in those places where you're a little bit afraid to let God in because you don't wanna be teased, you don't wanna be disappointed, make room for God. Jesus, thank you that you came from heaven to earth. You were the son of God that came to give your life. And like this boy that we read about, you died and then you rose again to show us that you give us victory over death. You give us victory, um, uh, you give us forgiveness of sins, you give us new life. And God, we trust you right now. We put our full faith in you, we receive you, and we thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.